Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. My guest today went from a career as a stressed-out corporate lawyer to a hugely successful self-made entrepreneur in a matter of three, four years. Alice Tran was working as a lawyer in Sydney, but found her mind wandering to online trends and what people were interested in seeing. So in 2011, she co-founded, by the way, just as a side hustle, a thing called the Daily Edited, TDE, with a colleague of hers at the same law firm. And this was a fashion lifestyle blog that quickly evolved into a personalized accessories line. Now the Daily Edited is the go-to destination for luxe lifestyle accessories that are affordable, specializing in custom-made, monogrammable leather goods. In the early days of the business, Elise worked at the law firm by day and on 2DE by night, monogramming products and packing orders with handwritten notes and going back to the office the next day with a big bag full of orders to post on a lunch break. That's what I call entrepreneurship. Now 2DE has no debt, employs more than 150 staff and is available online and in stores across Australia, Singapore and now the United States. 2020 was the first time the business didn't experience growth, with pop-up stores and physical brand activations not possible to implement, and the cost of digital marketing and freight going through the roof. So Elise pivoted the product range to focus on gifts for friends and family sent directly to your door. I want to ask Elise how she's grown the daily edited so rapidly, what's the importance of social media to her brand, and how COVID affected her product range, and what did she do to pivot around that? So let's get into it. Elise Tran, welcome to The Mentor. Thanks for having me, Mark. We we have met before. That's right. We um, did a little thing for EPOS. We talked about COVID and trading through that period, and there were a few other guests on the show. That's right. That. And and I'm surrounded by great gifts, beautiful gifts, and I appreciate that. Very thoughtful of you. I've got a – in front of me, I've got a, I think, a, a like toiletry a wash bag, bag yeah. wash bag. Yeah. They don't call it a toiletry bag anymore. The word Toiletry, I don't love. All right. You know, just from a marketing perspective, yeah, it just, yeah. you know, it has a weird con. So in America, they call them DOP kits. DOP. Yeah, D-O-double-P. And we, uh, the, the US is our second biggest market. So we've kind of adopted some of that terminology, but we call that a, it's a pebbled leather wash bag. A pebbled <laughs> leather wash bag. Well, I, I really appreciate it. It's very thoughtful. You've got my initials um, in Boston, um, which is fantastic. And I, I will use that one day when I travel. Travel again. Um, okay, well, okay, Elise, like, um, Elise Tran, it sounds like it might be Vietnamese name. That's right. Yep. Um, yep. 
born here or born I was in born here. Born yeah. here. Parents both from Vietnam? Both from Vietnam. Um, refugees. Refugees, yeah. Yep. Serious, yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Um, well, it's not cool for them oh, no, at the time. No, no, no. It's cool. It's at cool. the time yeah. it wasn't cool for them, yeah. I guess. Um, and what, was there a story? Is there a, Sometimes there's great stories. Oh, yeah, that's a things. good story. Um, yeah, tell me the in story. In a nutshell, quick, um, my parents um, left Vietnam when they were 19 on a little dinghy because, you know. Were they of, married? No, they were boyfriend girlfriend. Yep. Then my grandpa found out that my mum was escaping with my um, father and he's like, you better take a couple little brothers with you because she had nine little brothers, chucked a nine-year-old and an 11-year-old brother with her. So they came, they got into a dinghy, they got to a processing camp in Hong Kong. And I think the process once you got to Hong Kong was you kind of got to choose which country you would go to. Um, my mum had an uncle in Adelaide, so they chose to go to Australia. So then they got to Adelaide and then a year later, not the plan, got pregnant with me because obviously they wanted to start a new life, go to uni, do all this stuff. Um, and then my mum got pregnant. So my parents are only 57, so it's quite like a, they're very young people still. Um, and then... They obviously had to start working. Um, I grew up on a strawberry farm, so they started working as labourers for a, a nice man who was like, oh, um, recognised my father to be quite industrious um, and rented him a plot of land and he had his own little strawberry enterprise and then eventually he bought his own farm and that's where I grew up. That's all in Adelaide? All in the Adelaide Hills. Wow. Yeah. That's a cool story. Like uh, I guess to some extent, you would have seen that entrepreneur, entrepreneurial spirit that your dad and mummy displayed. I mean, the entrepreneurial spirit starts from the fact they got in a dinghy at the age of nineteen and totally travelled across from Vietnam to Hong Kong. Yeah, I mean, I, don't, I can't even think about how far that might be, but it sounds like a long way. Yes, a lot. You know, I think the stats are that half the people didn't make it. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I guess when people go through something like that, you can do anything, right? Like. Totally. Anything, any problem that I have now is just not a problem, yeah. obviously. It's all very, like, well, a genuine first world problem compared to what my parents had gone through. So they're still alive? Yeah, they're still alive. In Adelaide? In, no, yes, they've, um, so they've just both retired to my, this is like a shock horror week for me because, like, I've always relied on my parents for everything. So they've obviously helped me with my business, like, financially. They've always sort of been there. And I think when your parents retire, you're like, oh, my God, does that mean that taps off? <laughs> Um, so they, and they've decided that they are moving to Sydney. So my dad is trawling the streets of Wallara to they're buy gonna, a, they're gonna move to Sydney, yeah, yeah, to buy a house near me. And I'm like, oh my God. Um, That's a good thing though. Yeah. So, um, they've been in Adelaide all this time and they're like, they'd like to come up here. So like, how'd you get to Sydney? I mean, how'd that work um, out? So grew up in Adelaide, went to law school in Adelaide. Um, in Adelaide, didn't know anything outside that world really. Right. My parents are farmers. So like, how am I to know? Um, did really well at law school and then actually didn't get a job at an old established Adelaide law firm. Like if you weren't, if your dad wasn't in the Adelaide club, forget it kind of thing. And I didn't realise that until I sort of got into that position. So I started applying for um, big national law firms and the natural progression is to look at Melbourne or Sydney. And so I got a graduate role at a, at Mallison's, which is a big um, Australian. I know them well. They're doing my work. <laughs> yeah. So King Kingwood Mallisons are now yeah, called Kingwood Mallisons now. Um, so that's where I started my career. So, um, do you mind me asking how old you are now? I'm 34. You're 34. So you, you would have started working. Like you must have come to Sydney to right. join Mallison, Stephen Jakes. I don't know what they call yeah, those days, yeah. but probably when you were around 23, uh, 23 24. Yeah. 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 So you would have graduated around that yeah. period. I see preponderance of this, like generally. Um, why is it that we see today 
a large number of law school graduates and probably medical graduates, mm-hmm. generally speaking, are, are of Asian um, descent. I mean, oh, is that the case? Is yeah, that like I, a real I, stat? I, 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 I know. I just feel oh, like you I feel see. Like it. Like, yeah. Is it a real thing? Because, I mean, I, I teach at the University of New South Wales. Yeah. And most of the um, students in the master's degree, for example, are Asian. Um, yeah. Do you think it's a cultural yeah, thing? Yeah, totally. That so, the parents push the kids or oh, know, yeah, encourage totally. the kids or did you have a tiger mum? No, no. My, so my parents were too busy working to give me the resources to do the things that I wanted to do. So they were actually very hands off and I kind of um, had to kind of figure things out for myself because, you know, I never had parents who would – sort things out for me, even like applying for schools. I remember like I had to fill out the forms. Their English is a second language for them. So I had to be quite self-sufficient, which worked out well. But of course, like for my parents, you know, their life has been uncertain and so they wanted that certainty. So I think uh, trying to get a professional career going was something that they encouraged. But they weren't ramming it down my throat, so to speak. My little sister actually works in fashion. So she actually started her career at Harper's Bazaar magazine. So that's quite, you know, creative and relaxed compared to, um, I guess, you know, a career in medicine or law. But I think, you know, they obvi- academia in an Asian culture or an Asian family is very important. So getting good marks is important. And I think as a young person, when you excel at school in a small town like Adelaide, you don't know about people like you, Mark. Like, you know, you're not flipping open the AFR at year 10 and figuring out what careers are. So you only are able to look at what people's parents are doing. And in a small town like Adelaide, people's parents are largely, maybe they have a small business or they are a lawyer or a doctor. So that is why, you know, I was like, okay, they're the options open to me. Um, I'll, I'll choose law. Yeah, but yeah. like, you know, you, you finished a law degree, you worked at Mallison's um, in a law firm. Yes. Um, you could have just stayed on in that environment, and, you know, maybe go to the bar one day or perhaps stay there, become a partner of the firm, do very well for yourself. You know, you got to work mm. your ass off, I know, but like, <laughs> yeah. but like in the beginning, but like at some stage or other, like when you turn 40, 45, you get offered a partnership and those sort of things and, you know, your career set, life set, sort of, so to speak. You get annual leave, you get yes. long service leave, you get all those sorts of things, okay? Did at any stage, and this is topical at the moment, did, as an entrepreneur, as a person in business for themselves, do you think that you chose being in business for yourself where you don't get long service leave, where you don't get sick leave and all those sorts of things because mm. you've got to pay yourself? Um, did you think about the risk associated with that decision as opposed to say, I'm going to stay at Mallison's, just get paid. If I get sick, I get sick. If I get pregnant and have a kid, I got that, you know, yeah. but maternity leave, et cetera. Did you think through that no, process? Probably not. Didn't think about, didn't think about the ramifications. What do you that. think about that? Well, though? the reason why. Because uh, you know, there's a lot of people listening to this, sorry, Elise, yeah. but there's a lot of people listening to this who, who are sitting in a job right yes. now. Yes. And they're saying, oh, I'd love to be her. Of course. I, I, I get that all the time. But at the same time, go- but at the same time, you might say to yourself, well, I'd love to be you because, um, you know, you're, if you're about to get one year's maternity leave and so your for, job's maintained. Yeah. So for me, the difficulty with a, a career in the law was I actually didn't find it that easy. Like and I, very few people talk about this, but I found the legal work um, very difficult, especially at um, a, a high, a top tier firm like Mallison's, where you're not dealing with the easy stuff, right? Like you go there on bigger transactions, um, things that are on the bleeding edge. So I actually found the work and the environment very challenging and I had never From what had point of view, do you mean like timesheets and, um, you know, no, the no, budgets no. and expectations or As or in I would draft things incorrectly. 
like I'll be honest, I'm like d- the things that I were ter- was turning out was not a ten out of ten. And when you're um you know an A type personality and you can't do well, and it's very hard to teach yourself. It's not like a you can go to a textbook and figure out how to run Mark Boris's acquisition. <laughs> like there's it's not that you've got to figure it out. Well, there's an expectation. Yes. Yep. I found that hard. And so I think that's, you know, the genesis of thinking about other things and my mind wandering outside so, of the So, okay, that, that's very interesting because you, you were sitting so, you know. And so I, was like, I didn't think I was going to make it to wow. what you said. So did you ever have a confidence? Is that like, a confidence thing? Like, I mean, were you a person who lacked confidence in your own ability No, no. This was like I have a very, like I'm realistic with my skill set, you yeah. know. I'm not going to sit here and be like, Mark, one day I'm going to be Tory Birch. I know the limitations, my personal limitations. So is that a practicality, or is that, uh, or is that um, you feeling a little bit? Um, no, I reckon it's like looking around and going. First of all, making partner at a big law firm is really difficult. Um, so I, I found that environment really challenging, and I, I was like, I knew that I had to make some sort of change, and, and it wasn't necessarily like I'm going to start a business and sell bags. I was actually looking at things like going in house, as you know, going to a bank as an in-house lawyer or do it because the work would yeah, be yeah. a bit easier. In-house counsel. Yeah, in-house yeah. Counsel. Um, so looking at different options and then I actually, my career started in the law around the What GFC, sort of area were you working in? M&A. M&A, yeah. um, In the GFC. So the deal flow wasn't there. So like previous law, uh, you know, graduates to me, they were just getting rammed. Like it would be deal after deal. Then the GFC hits and the partners aren't getting that deal flow. So I had a lot of downtime. I'd have to still put in the FaceTime, mm. but like by and large, I was sometimes just there on the internet looking at things, which is really the genesis of seeing niches in, um, you know, consumer goods and working out, oh, like I'd love to have a look at that. Because well, I was going to ask you that. So you you, you talk about genesis. How did this all start? Like how, where did the idea come from? Yeah, you're, so you're going to sitting there at Malison's work, hopefully not working on my account. And, no. Uh, and never. Uh, no, he never worked on my account. But uh, you're sitting there at Mallison's and, um, you, as you okay. say, downtime. Yes. Um, looking through the internet because, you know, you can't charge any client whilst you've got no work in front of you. But why did you decide to so, explore this? Yeah, so the Daily Edit, it's a strange name for an accessories brand. It doesn't make sense. So it started as a blog. So it was a daily edit of things that my co-founder and I liked about, liked in food, fashion, whatever we thought was cool. You know, as a young lawyer, you would look, forward to nothing more than say like the weekend and a one like a restaurant reservation that you had or an exhibition that you might go to because you you live for the weekend when you're in a nine to five, right? Yep. Um so we were kind of curating all of that. And then we actually then one of the biggest kind of joys of going to work for me was getting dressed and wearing nice clothes. Um, for work, yeah. For work, you know, because that was an ex- you know a nice part of the day. So we actually launched a clothing line, you know, just a few pieces of clothing. And just go back a bit, co-founder. Yeah, Tanya Liu, she's still in the business. But, but um, was she at Mallison's too? Yes. So right. she was at, so we actually, yeah, we met as lawyers. Yeah. yeah. You know, when you're toiling away and you are, um, you know, late at night and you have those chats, you like, do you think you're going to be here forever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he was like, oh, my God, I don't think so. I don't think I can make it. You know, those those sorts of chats. So that's what we kind of bonded over and we bonded over fashion she dressed very well and I'm like, oh, you know, where'd you get that from? Love your outfit. Water cooler chat. <laughs> um, so that's where the Daily Edited started and so it was 
a bit of clothing and it was just a hobby business and it gave us a... So where'd you put it, the Daily Editor? Was it, was it a, a... A website. A, a blog know, on a website. Yeah, newfangled website. Yeah, yeah. So you built a website. Yeah, yeah built yeah. a website. Spent yeah. $10,000 on a website. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Um, that Kim Tran paid for, you know, like... Um, so Kim Tran being your dad. My mum. Yeah, your mum. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, and it gave us something to talk about out on the weekends. So, so, so I, I got to understand this. So you, yeah. got, you, got, you, built, you built a website yeah. called The Daily Edit. Yeah, and, and you um, start putting up like some content. About what? Like clothes? The food fashion. Yeah, yeah. Like this oh, is cool. Who was your audience? Like, no, one. no one. 50 friends. Why were you, but you, were you doing it for? Because it was just fun. Just, yeah, why didn't you just put it up on Facebook or something? Why did you? Oh, because I wanted to have something that looked quite nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was all part of the fashion deal, I yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like that sort of. And, and were you Instagramming it? Yeah, no, so it had like all the social media, yeah, Facebook, yeah, yeah. Instagram, okay. all of that. It, you know, something nice to talk to friends out. Like if you're going out with a group of friends, they do not want to hear about your legal work. Yeah, no yeah. one cares. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it kind of gave us something socially to do. And then, you know, we sort of started building an audience. Like I kind of, I don't know where. Where'd I, you get your audience from? Referrals, friends, Just friends of friends. Yeah. It sort of gets out there, um, you know, and it, and we were kind of like lucky to be starting this when, you know, Instagram just started yeah. blowing up. So, you know, like yeah. you were just yeah, spoken yeah. tons of entrepreneurs who blew up in that time, so that kind of thing. And the idea was like if we could sell enough, a few enough things that, you know, as a young lawyer. No, you weren't I, trying to sell at this stage? You were? No, 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 sell product. But you weren't trying to sell product? Or no, you, we were. You, okay, so, the so idea you had product was, on there as Yeah, well. the idea was just to sell enough to buy Chanel handbags. Right. Because, you know, as a young lawyer, even though you you, you might be on eighty five, ninety thousand dollars or whatever, this is back in my day, might be more now. By the time you pay your four hundred dollars in rent, go out a couple of times, eat some food, there's mm. nothing left. You're cooked. Yeah. Basically. So I was like, I, if I want anything cool, I need another revenue stream. And so that's what this was. It was never like a way to Get out of a full time job. It was like, oh. But how did you make money out of it? So, so um, you got a, your blog going. Selling out. clothing. So okay, where'd you source clothing from? China, just some. Oh, um, just random stuff. Yeah, just. No, random. no, you weren't selling selling Chanel we, or anything. No, like no, that. we were, we kind of would come up with um, concepts around different clothes that we like, and then we would source off the shelf product. And a lot yeah. of businesses sort of started that way, and then started making. What Alibaba or something like that, or. They uh, similar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So you you weren't actually making you weren't no. sort of designing something, getting it made in. No, no, we had no, no skill set for that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No yeah. idea how to make a pattern. So <laughs> you, so you were just a, like a pass through, basically. Yeah. 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 We were selling some clothing. It didn't really get gain that much commercial traction, and it ended up costing us money to sort of like buy inventory, then not sort of sell through it, that kind of thing. And then we wound that back. We were like, oh, a couple of years into it, we're like, oh, it's not really going anywhere. We're still lawyers at this point. Um, we'll just leave it. And then I just sort of continued the sort of blogging aspect of it. Um, cause you were using yourself as like an editorial, I guess. Yeah. Like, cause you're saying to we everybody. Were, we were a try hard magazine sort yeah, of yeah, thing. Yeah. Yeah. You, 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 you're basically it's, saying to your audience, look, I'll go do this work and look, look at all this shit and yeah. then I'll curate something yeah. and I'll tell you about it. Yeah, totally. No mm. one cares. But not just clothes. Not, yeah, not just clothes. Right. Um, and then, um, one day I w- was in a luxury fashion brand store <laughs> um, and I looked at something that I, a compendium that I was like, oh, you know, it'd be nice to have a nice designer compendium that I could take to meetings, the one or two meetings that I get invited to as a junior lawyer, um, that'll be nice. And it was too expensive and I'm like, oh, definitely not getting that. Then tried to go around looking for a cheaper option of something nice I could take to meetings and couldn't find anything and that was the genesis of 
the leather accessories and I'm like, someone can do this sort of product. Like, I think I can do this product at a much cheaper price point. So then the first products for the daily edited leather accessories were a compendium, a little business card holder and a little zip pouch, things that you would take to work. Which are still in the collection now, and and you you manufacture that stuff. Yes, yeah. So you design it, manufacture yeah. it because they're much easier to design. Still so with your partner, business yeah, partner. Still yeah, with, uh, still with Tanya. Yeah, she's yep. still in the business. Yeah, Tanya didn't think it was crazy. You're like, yeah, okay, let's try to let's try to source some of that stuff. Yep. Okay. Um, first batch comes, and it, you know the quality that we had then versus now is very different. But um, first batch came. Um, I love. I've always loved personalization. So my gay uncle bought me a Louis Vuitton bag when I was 16 and had my initials on it. I'm like, I love this. Um, so I wanted to do that, bought a monogramming machine from eBay, watched a couple of YouTube videos, how to do it, did some really botched sort of ugly monogramming, but people still liked it. Took a photo of the product, put it on Instagram. And then the audience, the small audience that we had, like 40,000 people were like, oh my God, I want that. And that, and then it just kept going. Oh, that, so, <laughs> okay. So We've gone through this process of, um, you know, the growing up as a kid in Adelaide, getting your university, getting to get getting to university, getting your law degree done, working at Mallison's here in Sydney, um, you know, just getting by every week um, with a whole lot of um, aspirations about what you'd like to own. And as a result, you set up your own, you're running your own website with blogs on it, and then started to create your own product, product, yeah. which is these bags, um, of which I have two beautiful ones here in front of me, and embossed. Um, and, uh, your audience has obviously grown and somehow you just landed on what people want. I yeah, mean, I, totally. You, you didn't think, I know everybody wants this. You no, just landed I, I kind on of it. thought it was going to end at some point too. Cause when we started getting orders, I, I, you know, I didn't go, oh, let's get an employee or anything. I'm like, oh, you know, like, cause, cause we had the failure of the clothing that didn't go anywhere. I genuinely just thought this would be a passing phase and that there, you know, a few people in that little audience were keen to have a reasonable card holder or whatever. So did you buy inventory or yeah, how did you did, do- but very small amounts. Then we ended up putting things on pre-order and then we ordered more and more. And it, the, it just kept on snowballing and within nine months I was haggard, tired, dispatching orders after, you know, wrapping up orders, dispatching them in my lunch break, that kind of thing. Still working at Still analysis. working. Um, and and then our accountant calls because, you know, we'd set up the business as just, you know, a partnership. So it was actually very tax effective as lawyers. <laughs> um, it was like, guys, what's happened? You know, there's a lot of money here. <laughs> Maybe you should quit your jobs. <laughs> and then I, and that you, was... You weren't monitoring it? Not really. Yeah. Not really because I didn't know how much, yes, there's always money coming in, but like how much has to come out. Like I didn't know that there would be the ability for us to quit our jobs. We actually ended up quitting our jobs when there's like a couple million dollars in the bank account. And then I felt like, yeah, okay. We got. I actually said to Tanya, you know, when we resign, we should just ask, we shouldn't resign. We should just ask for leaves of absence for a year because we just can go case. back, yeah. you know, because <laughs> that was the mentality if this ends. How long did it take from whilst you were working in the law firm? Mm. How long did it take before you got to this point where you made the decision or you you the decision was presented to you that you by your accountant and yeah. or your partner that we should stop working in the law firm and now go into this full time? So from the inception of this product, yep. a year. A year. One year. Yep. So in one year you accumulated enough money to um uh, encourage for you to feel encouraged 
You don't have to earn your 90 grand a year or whatever you're yeah. earning at Mallison's at the yeah, time. Yeah, we, we, we were like, though we have to be paid that because I've got rent to pay. Yeah, you've got to pay yourself yeah. that. Yeah, so we had to at least pay ourselves what we would get paid at the law firm. And I think that's an important point. Like a lot of people go, oh, well, you know, I've got this great idea and, uh, you know, I'm going to build a website I'm going to start mm. getting stuff in. I've got like 10 grand this. in my I pocket. I hear this all the time. And, yeah. uh, and I'm going to leave my job. Don't do that. Like, no, no. <laughs> so just tell everybody, please, yes. the importance of staying in your job and that decision, that crossover yeah. for the decision. You just, just tell have us. to side hustle it. I mean, unless you've got a partner or family who will support you, love that for you. But even then I don't um, think they should do that because that's just, that's risking everyone's money. I think it's money. nice. Like I'm not going to take that away from anyone if you have that option, awesome. Yeah. But for most people you don't Yeah. and you need to live. Um. And so it is it is like obviously a lot of work and people can't fathom that. Yes, you will work seven days a week. You The weekend is two days that you can work on your side hustle on, mm. right? That's a lot of time. And you don't need to go to bed at 9.30 no. and go to bed at 1 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, exactly. totally. So there's plenty of time. There's more. There's your full time job's only thirty eight hours a week. Yep. You had plenty of time to do other stuff. Um. So I think that that is very. It's realistic. Yeah. So it's um, 168 so hours. So basically, what you're saying, what Lisa's saying, is 168 hours in a week. Thirty eight <laughs> hours at the day 38 job. Hours, thirty eight hours. Then you've got a whole lot of other time yeah. to to sleep. Maybe you take the party time out. You take the yeah. The, I didn't the go coffee on, shop time yeah, out. No, all the shit out. And uh, and you just work. Yes, because so be- I'm Asian, so that's just normal. Yeah, well, do, I mean, do you, I'm going to ask you, do you think yeah. that, is that, is that, were you culturally assisted? I think so. I think the work, for sure, now that I see Seeing other people. Seeing your dad and your mum in the strawberry farm. They just work farm. all the time. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like yeah. that, I grew up just like you get up, when I was a small child, you just start working, like go and help your parents. Like you're not going to sit in yeah, front of the TV. After school you go and do stuff. You some. go and do stuff, yeah. yeah, so, yeah. W- There's an expectation. I yeah, but it's, it's just normal. It's sort of like part of your DNA. You yeah. don't, not, no one's so, saying do this, you just do it. You just do it. So for those people listening, I mean, this is really important. Just understand the concept. Yeah. <laughs> the concept is work out how many hours there are in a week, work out how many hours you, uh, you've got to attend at the office or whatever your day job is, and then split the rest up and make the sacrifice because that's what it's about. It's about actually putting in. And if you think you enjoy, you, if you can somehow convince yourself that you're enjoying what you're doing, then you become an entrepreneur. A typical entrepreneur for the maybe the first four or five years is just working their ass off. End yeah, of I mean, but the thing is, is I didn't feel like it was this horrible toil because it's yeah. not like double malisons. You know, I tried to be there. That like another you're doing it for yourself. No, well, it's fun because you like the product yeah. or you like the service that you're providing. Like I liked, I like this. I like thinking of ways to sell this product. I like coming up with new colours, like designs, things like that. So it was, it's never, even then, yes, it was, I was tired and there was a lot of work, like physical stuff at that point in time. It was fun, you know, like fun to see what customers were ordering. Exciting to see if like someone vaguely famous ordered something like, oh, my God, or, you know, getting something into a magazine. You're like, oh, my God, you know, so it's like very The little wins. Exciting, yeah. The little wins. Yeah. Because yeah, you, 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 you're just, you're in it. You, you, didn't, you, you can stop at any time. No one's forcing you to. Do but, it you, well, you know. I've got to go that break, but I quickly want to say something about what you just said, which is really important. Um Elise talking about she had that attitude where she looked for the little wins. In other words, oh, my God, someone famous just bought something. Oh, my God, uh, that looks fantastic. Or a whole lot of people have appreciated what I've done. They're only little stupid little things. But at the end of the day, they don't put money in your bank. But at the end of the day, um, it's not about the bank account. Uh, ultimately, it is. But day to day, it's not about the bank account. It's just as long as you've got enough there money to pay yourself, well, sorry, pay for all your costs. But it's better that you look for other things that you can bank as opposed to being money things you can bank, like you can bank things in your ego or you can bank things in your 
delight or your sense of achievement or your sense of success or your uh, sense of um, whatever. You're looking for little things all the time. And that's a certain type of attitude you've got to have when you're in business as an entrepreneur. You always, look, all the shit's going to happen to you all the time, but you must look for those little things and you've got to bank them and you've got to accumulate them. It's not just about the $2 million Elise talked about, but she said that she had in a bank account when they can't present it to her, what are you going to do? But it's all those other little things you banked on the way through, all those delights where people saw something with their name embossed on it all. You know, that, that's sort of the game. That's the only thing that will get you through being an entrepreneur. It's still the game now. If, so, correct. You know, if we get a DM from a celebrity on our Instagram, I'm like, oh, stop everything. You know, Celebrate. so-and-so wants a phone case. Get a, Roger Federer's EA. I don't know if this is fake, but we're doing it. You yeah, know? and like, celebrate. Yeah, well, it's, it's exciting. Yeah, totally. Well, we go to the break and we're going to come back and we're going to continue to talk to Louise about her business, The Daily Edited. 
young people come and work for the business. And of course they want to go up and up. And I'm like, I've been there. You know, you keep wanting to go up and I can only give you up if I'm growing my sales, um, which obviously at this time I'm sure we'll touch on is challenging. Yeah, we yeah. will touch on that. So yeah. how many people do you have working for you now? So in our core kind of head office team, people who do not touch a product um, or speak to a customer daily. Um, Admin style? Yeah, uh, they'd only be, you know, in terms of creative developers, oh, yeah, yeah. that sort of, you know, accountants, that kind of thing. Yeah. We only have about 20 people who are not um, doing customer service, packing an order, um, working in a shop. So if we include all of those team members as well, it would be around about 100 and it flexes up and down based on season. So Christmas time, there's way more people, Mother's Day, that kind of thing. Can you just could you just take me through your your op so your operation so mm. um as in like ma- the ma- what a like a structure yeah or? like I mean well in terms of um orders sourcing the product filling up a warehouse and getting the delivery done so we okay run through on ops okay so ops so let's say we start with product for Mother's Day right yep. so I come up with a collection that I think you know will sell at Mother's Day. Those designs get done by myself um, and a designer in-house. Yep. Um, a pack of, you know, all of the products, the colours and, you know, what, what everything goes to. Design specs, yep. yeah. goes to Tanya, my co-founder, who yep. then farms that out to our, we've got a team in China who do sourcing, some dispatch, logistics. So they then go with that pack, you know, physically, um, to our, we've got sort of panel suppliers, like five or six suppliers, um, and ask them to price up, you know, what we've come up with. Um, they then send back to Sydney all of the samples. You know, I go through them if I want any changes. These are samples Isn't, that they'd already have, would already have. No, that the, what made from scratch. Yep, made from scratch, yep. Um, and then, you know, adjustments, blah, blah, blah. Then, bang, purchase order, you know, forecasts on what, how many of these? So you have to, you, you, you 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 buy it in advance. Yes. Yep. Yep. So um, Tanya, I'm very lucky because Tanya largely deals with all these horrible numbers and spreadsheets and things. So um, purchase orders made, inventory you know gets completed. Um, we've got a warehouse and stuff in China. That warehouse then allocates to um, our office in Sydney or the our stores or our um, warehouse in the US. So they'll do the allocation. Product gets here. Um, you know, I'm photographing it, you know, doing, you know, maybe a Mother's Day campaign around that product, working out how to merchandise that in store, how it's going to be merchandised on our website, you know, with a landing page or what what have you, gets pushed out onto social media, maybe gets gifted to some influencers and then Tina wants the product. Yep. <laughs> so that that's sort of the, uh, uh, you know, pack dispatch, customer service, all of that stuff. Yeah, and, that. and, and so, okay, so you just gave me a good example. You said yeah. Mother's Day, which is like the... First week May. in May or That's something. Like that. Yeah. Okay, so let's go back one year ago. Yes. May 2020. Yes. Middle of COVID. I know. <laughs> um, your lead time for getting all this Mother's Day stuff. So we um, started ready. that process in like January, right. February. Yeah. So China closes down. Mm. Um, you've got the Chinese New Year where you can't get anything out of China. Yeah. Um, which is like February. Mm-hmm. Um, the end of February, borders, everything starts mm. going a bit haywire. What happened in terms so, of what you were able to deliver for, for May? We we were lucky because uh, we spent a lot on freight last year. I think we ended up chartering our own flights at some points to get inventory out of there. No, but that that's what you that was your your remedy. Yeah. What but what happened? What was okay. Presented to you. What so, was the problem that got presented? Okay. To you? So things. Okay. When I conceptualized Mother's Day 2020, I didn't 
I had knew about COVID, but I didn't think that it was going to be anything major. I know that yeah. sounds so silly no, now. When, when would you, when, so like for May? I knew about when COVID. You, in, but no, when do you conceptualise these things? So what's so your lead January. time? So January is your plan period. Yeah, so I've come up. Yeah, so, right. you know, I had heard about COVID, but I didn't know the extent of it. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I had come up with product that, I, and I wanted to activate in every store partner with a, a local chocolatier. I thought it would be quite a fun way to activate in our stores, so find, you know, the best um, boutique chocolatier in Melbourne, Sydney, Adelaide, Brisbane, one in New York too. So the product was like chocolate boxes that you could get filled with chocolates in store. Dumb. Stores get shut down. Mm. You know, imagine hygiene of that and, you know, the concern around that with COVID. So having to see if I could pivot the product, like cancel certain product before it would get made and, quickly come up with new concepts, completely delete the store strategy so that we ended up not really activating Mother's Day at all because, that you know, May, COVID, no one's in a shop. Um, so really rolling back and figuring out what, you know, all the marketing messaging, or like how am I going to market this product? Normally it's, you know, Mother's Day is really big, sort of the three, four days leading up to it because people don't generally plan that far out. Um, and it's a lot of um, driving traffic to stores, which is now not an option. So how are we going to sell all this stuff? Like what's the messaging? And it was, you know, if you can't see your mum, send her something straight to her door, that kind of rhetoric, which you saw a lot of brands do last year. So when did you come up? I mean, how do you, how did you come up with that? I mean, how did your business come up with that idea? Like, Because it was a real experience for me. So for example, I would, would normally catch up with my mum you know, on Mother's Day or those occasions, but I was unable to do that. And so it's really through personal experience that you then go, yeah, people can't do this, people, me. <laughs> so let's kind of roll this out. I think it helps that I'm a very normal, real person <laughs> in running yeah. this business. Yeah, that does help. I get, but you, so you um, sit down with your team or and, and discuss No, it. I think about a lot of things and then we have like, I'm quite, I'm always on and always thinking about this and the other and then I will, send, I have a Slack channel with um, my core team on it. You might explain to everyone there. who's listening what Slack is. Oh, Slack is a communication tool that sort of eliminates email and gives um, people for a team like a lot of transparency around what's going on. Sort of like a Facebook yeah, business type Yeah, a little yeah. chat sort yeah, of thing. Yeah. Um, so I have um, chat streams with different team members on, you know, whether it be the retail team or the you know, digital team. And I am often just in the middle of the night or first thing in the morning when I'm like scrolling through Instagram at 6.30 a.m., punching things in there and, you know, then yeah. fleshing it out during yep. the day. Yep, okay. Yeah. And and so you're, you're putting these, these ideas or these thoughts up on yeah. up on Slack, but are you also uh, issuing instructions or are you just waiting for uh, feedback? Oh, no, so then I say like I will write random sentences and then when by the time I get to the office at 10 a.m., I'm like, you know that note that I wrote? So like what do you think? Mm. Um, and, you know, if the consensus is, yeah, that's a good idea we build that out more. I, I draft a lot of the EDMs and a lot of the copy and stuff on the website and things still. So, you know, all that messaging is very important and the execution of it is still very much in my hands. I mean, like, cause otherwise what people think it's crazy, the amount of work that I do, but then I'm like, I don't really know what else I would be doing with my time if I didn't do these things. Yeah. Well, yeah that's, that's, that's what people usually refer to as a person driving the business, but driving the business is 
just throwing ideas out, making sure that some of them stick. And yeah, they, and then and they, they actually get done. They yeah. yeah, they've got to be executed. So, like, what, what, what did you think when the COVID, I mean, we talked specifically about mm. May, though, what, what was the net effect on your business when COVID first hit? Because, I mean, everything was crippled pretty much, in mm. terms, especially in terms of stuff coming out of China. I mean, I got made to uh, in the clothing industry and uh, they just couldn't get their product out at all, yeah. at zero. So what, how did you feel about your business? I mean, I mean, you're, at this stage you're in a really successful business. So the first couple of weeks were quite um, scary because you're like, oh, what's going to happen to the retail? Because um, the retail business, interestingly, for TDE is quite a significant part of the business. Um, I think for us, the most difficult thing for me and for us as a business is experiencing no growth. And the other thing is, is we didn't qualify for any of the government incentives. Not to say that we did so well, our it, it, we haven't been able to mop up everything that we've lost in the physical retail onto online. Yep. But, the you know, we're a digital business and I pivoted quite hard in, you know, invested a bit more in um, digital advertising and stuff to sort of try to, you know, keep the revenue up there. Um, and as a result, the decrease wasn't sharp enough to qualify for things like JobKeeper or major rent relief, that kind of thing. So we're still carrying full fixed costs on everything in the business. Um, so you know, it's a blessing and a curse, right? I'm so jealous of everyone who's been able to get all of this free money, so to speak. I'm sure we'll, it will catch up with us one day. Um, but, you know, obviously cash flow and stuff has been impacted because I haven't been able to keep ramping sales and I'm still carrying hectic fixed costs. So yeah. it is. So you're saying though that, let me just get my head around this. Yeah. So whilst you didn't qualify, that means you didn't go down in revenue yeah. because you supplemented your revenue streams with other revenue streams, like more online revenue yeah. streams as opposed to... I mean, so like, you know, obviously had to focus everything on online. On The online business became very expensive to run as well. With So shipping became very expensive yeah. last year. Shipping, you know, emergency yeah. surcharges and stuff from DHL. Yeah, because what you, I think what you, we've got to make clear to everybody yeah. is a lot of people don't understand what you're talking about. Yes. Yeah, so the government assistance was based on revenue. Yes. As opposed to net profit. Yes. Yeah. And and your rev, your nev, your revenues didn't change where but your costs went up to support those revenues. Yes, totally. So, so your your net profit position is, is much worse. Much worse relative I don't like to even say that publicly, but you know, no, but it's the case. find out, right? And like, it happens in lots of businesses. Yeah. Um so like my own yellow big road business, like our revenue went up. Mm. It like actually went up quite a bit relative to the previous period. But in my cost did too. Mm. Because I had to support that revenue with a lot more cost. Mm. I didn't get JobKeeper. Our business get JobKeeper. We, we, we can know. bond over not take, getting JobKeeper, yeah. but maybe. It's well, yeah, you. but it's a good thing, I guess, <laughs> in some respects, because we ended up making a record record amount of money in the latter period, like towards the end of last year, and um, you know, that, then there'd be pressure on me to give it back. So, yes, I mean, yes, that's moral, the rhetoric moral, now. Moral ethical pressure. Yeah. So I'm quite happy that I'm not in that sort of uh, uh, conundrum, but. But I think people need to understand is in terms of the pivot, whilst your pivot was successful at the top line, the revenue line, it was supported heavily by costs below that. And um, and let's just explain explain to our audience what you did to increase your top line. So, you know, how did you go? You said digital. Mm. Maybe just broaden that out a little sure, bit because a lot of people don't quite know what you're talking about. So. There was no, there's been no point, and even up until now, really marketing heavily going into our physical retail stores. So really, it was you know a range. There are only a few mechanisms that you can use to drive traffic into your online store. So when we talk about digital, the digital advertising, Google, Instagram, other social yep. media ads, 
opening up new social channels such as TikTok, working with influencers and working with digital publications to kind of build out linking to our site. So well, these are things that we've always done. But you just but, you know, we when you're looking at a marketing allocation, it just went heavier. Yeah, that you way. spend more. But it became, it, you know, obviously this was what every retailer was doing. So in that space it became highly contested, highly congested. You know, you're probably getting a lot of ads for everything. So, But I so was everyone else. Exactly, yeah. So it was it's it's difficult. Yeah, yeah. It still so, is difficult right now. But you, and you ha- you hung on to your fixed costs. That is your store costs. Yes, that weren't generating. Yes. So and that's you, been yes. Yeah, so so what, what do you what do you think you'd? I mean, maybe you don't want to say this, but um, what do you think you'll do? Do you think you'll just move more across to online? No, because I love physical retail, and I think it. Well, how does that all work then? So like, yeah. Do, do they complement each other or they just, yeah, or it's think, just a separate I think it's stream? part of the brand story. I think it's, it be, it's an ecosystem. It allows me to go into your store and have a look. Is that yeah. what you mean? Yes, but it's also a way for people to experience the brand in a physical way and I think that's important. I think it's like one thing to listen to you, right, but it's yeah. cool to meet you, Yep. you know? Yeah, 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 I get so, that. Um, so, I mean, like, well, what, give me an example of where, where, where's the store. So um, we've got one in Westfield, Sydney. Okay, Westfield, in the city. Yeah, in yeah. Sydney, yeah, no, yeah. just under Centrepoint Tower. Yeah, so that would have struggled during the COVID period. Uh, yes, that's still no struggling now, town. yeah. No one in town. Like, yeah. no one in that building. Totally, that, totally. Oh, yeah, you tell them that, Mark. There's Can you no call one in the building. guy? Can yeah, you and, call the leasing and, agent? And, 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 be, and it wouldn't be easy to negotiate Westfield on terms of rent because they're not that easy to negotiate with. At any stage, do you think about closing it down? No, because you'd invest. We in stores, you invest so much in fit out and team members, and mm. you know, like. Yeah, but the sunk costs. I know. Um, it, it, we're facing that now. So, yeah. what is our store strategy for you know the rest of this? Well, year? your strategy generally. Yeah. Do I need stores? I think I need stores. Why? Because I think people are going to come back out for experiences, and you've seen there's always pent up demand when people get let out of like restrictions and lockdowns and things. I think. TDE had the right has the right number of stores, so we haven't gone too hard. We only have three standalone stores, and the rest of our retail is with David Jones. Um, so we can flex that up and down based on kind of footfall. So that's easy. But, but what are the what are the basic percentages? The, the What's cha- the difference? I mean, like, what, like so, online store sales. I mean, so pre-COVID, it was like sixty forty. Which way? Um, sixty online, forty in store. So now, oh, post COVID, like twenty eighty. Yeah. Okay. Right. But I, I but still want that twenty percent. I'm so optimistic. I think it's going to come back to normal levels. Um, do you reckon it's going to get back to sixty forty, or you? Yeah, re- yeah, yeah. Or do you I think, think your? Or do you think the um, the numerator is just going to increase? I mean, Potentially. Uh, yeah. But I think the, the the change in strategy is: Do I need? I've got a hundred square meters. We've got a hundred square meters at Westfield Sydney. Do we need something that size mm. and to be carrying that large um, mm. cost base? So. Going, you know, I always thought bigger was better. Like when we put that flagship store in, I was like, I need to have a big store, Westfield, Sydney, same floor as Chanel and Celine. You know, I want that brand positioning. Um, but maybe, and that was three years ago, I think my vibe has changed. I'm like, oh, I'd like to do compact retail that um, is experiential, looks cool, um, has a nice flow. So like it's the, the strategy is not necessarily I'm going to axe the stores. It's more like how do I get them to be more productive? Would you consider making your store like or, or treating your store like a destination in itself as opposed to having to be in the destination like Westfield? Oh, as in like out on the high street and yeah, stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In other words, people will go to your store because they want to go to your store or mm. you, you – I think it's extremely in. challenging and, you know, like how much – I've seen brands try to execute that sort of um, 
you know, like more of a concept store. Mm. Um, let's say, you know, you could have it, say, on Glenmore Road in Paddington mm. and you get a like yeah, terrace yeah. or something. Yeah. I, I think that's extremely challenging. Uh, um, TDE is a brand that does require volume because the average transaction value is, you know, lower than a high-end fashion brand. So you're going to be relying on so the I need traffic. I need some people. Yeah, you need traffic yeah. that others are attracted. Yeah, and also for customer acquisition, right? So it, it's really good to be in places like pre-COVID, fantastic to be at Westfield, Sydney with, you know, tourists and um, new office workers and things like that. I just, it would be very hard to acquire, uh, we're not an established brand enough to just be like, yeah, we're going out on a random street in Paddington <laughs> and doing this concept. Yeah, but you might open up next to Camilla or something like that. Yeah, sure. But those, I think that sort of um, high street retail works for some brands, but I think it would be difficult for volume-based brands like so, Dalian. So the, the Daily Edited now, mm. so in terms of brand build, mm. take me through that. Um, so where are we at with the, the Daily Edited? I mean, like what's your, I mean, did you do analysis once a year as to um, unprompted, prompted awareness and all that sort of stuff? Uh, not that sort of level of detail. We The last time we did it, we kind of did an exercise through an agency to redo our homepage and how to kind of present our product online in a way that people could really understand. And we, they went through like a random, so I think they interviewed like a hundred people at random about the business. And it was really interesting to hear what they said. I think, you know, it's very early days for the daily edited, like really six years in the market. And yes, there's some brand recognition in certain pockets of Australia, but there's certainly a long way to go. Um, and, and then the focus market, um, outside of Australia has been the US and Jesus, like no one knows us there, save for the people who are, um, we've got a store in the West Village. So around there and with certain influences in certain pockets of um, America where there is brand equity, but we've got like 10 years <laughs> before people really. Well, that's good though. No. That, that's good. You've you got ten, ten, 10 years of growing the brand, which means you should, you know, should grow the, the revenue logically. So you've got another 10 years of life left in in the business before you need to sort of think about doing anything else. So Yeah, that, I think there's a, still a long, long but way But how do you promote, how do you build your awareness? Like what is your marketing sort of, let's call it strategy? Yeah, okay. Well, I guess, you know, um, it's always been through influencer, um, you know, whether, whether that is like a key opinion leader such as yourself through to, you know, an influencer on Instagram or TikTok. So mainly through digital platforms. Um in terms of awareness with regular customers, pop-up shops in low, so we might not go to Newcastle or something as a permanent location, but we might do a month there over summer um, or into the Gold Coast, that kind of thing. So we're building, every time we've done that, we've found that we can acquire customers locally because, you know, it is very easy to shop with us online. We offer free shipping, that kind of thing. So that has, they've been sort of the two main strategies for customer acquisition and growth of the brand. Um, also, at a higher level, larger campaigns with celebrities, that kind of thing to sort of, you know, be in the mainstream media. Because, um, because, pe- because people yeah. will be thinking to themselves about um, marketing campaigns. Look, everyone always talks about marketing campaigns. Sure. Most people don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> um, and, and it's actually, it's just a buzzword. Most It's a bit scary for some people when they start to em- embark upon the marketing campaign, then they usually hand it off to a, an agency and um, the agency doesn't understand the brand as well as the proprietors and mm. all the staff, the, the coll- your colleagues would. Um, how would you typically do a campaign? Um, yeah, so, for example, we've got a recycled nylon product coming out, like bags made out of recycled right. nylon, cool, very, you know, of the moment. 
So how do I when get... We, okay, go back a step. Yeah. Of the moment. Why is it of the moment? And of the moment. How would you get that um, idea? Obviously sustainability. I don't need to say these things. But obviously things like sustainability um, have and provenance of a product have become very um, front of mind for consumers. Pro- Some provenance consumers. Being where does the product, does the product, start product from? come from? Yeah, yeah, um, so. But how do you know about that? I mean, like oh, you, 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 oh, you assume everyone knows about that. But how, how, how do does, I know about yeah, that? How, how does Elise living Tran know about through that? Living. No, through living. No, what do you read? But what do you what, oh, do you, what do you what are you reading that that influences your opinion as to, as to why you is, should do it? Yeah, I read everything. So I I genuinely do. I'm subscribed to every single kind of fashion publication and industry publication in my field. Yeah. Okay. Seriously, yeah. and then you and then and you then, curate it yourself, and then I like you know because that's what you used to do at the Daily. Yeah, so I look at, I consume so a lot you're still of media. Doing, basically, still doing what you did when you're doing your blog, when you're working, or when I was a lawyer, or yeah. when I was yeah. studying. Yeah. Like yeah. I just consume a lot of media, mm-hmm. and then I, you know, I'm in the shops. I'm looking at what other brands are doing. So you distill it down to a product. Yeah, down, okay. and then I'm like, oh, that I don't even, I didn't even think about that process. So that was just yeah, but others need to know about it. Yeah, and then once you and you, then you come up with an idea, yes. which is about provenance, Re- which basically means where did it come from? Yeah, and and then you looked at the environmental friendly thing, which yes. is like a, a big deal at the moment, yes. particularly with younger people, of course, which makes sense. And then you said, I'll design a product. And then we'll do, we'll get it, we'll see what fabrications we can get. We can get this recycled nylon that I can actually make versions of the leather product that you have in front of you out of that fabrication. So, okay, I've got this recycled nylon range. How on earth do I market it? Because my customers don't know about it. They know about this leather product. They don't know about that. So this is actually a real thing that I'm facing this week. Yep. Um, So I will then work out how I'm going to shoot the product, like imagery, um, w- will I use a model or an influencer or a key opinion leader in that space? You know, a girl who's yep. not an eco warrior, but basically yep. to kind of model the product, that imagery will then get fed to our PR firms who will then, you know, maybe speak to some publications about whether they're interested in running a story on this or what have you. And then we will gift, say, a range of influencers that product who we think, you know, that'll resonate with them for them to get the word out. Really, that's the marketing campaign. Yep, yep. I get it. Um, and, you know, for a bigger brand, it might be they launch it with, a major celebrity in the space, you know, the posters get printed, put into the stores, that kind of thing. But for a small, um, like a test product like this, because this is really a test for us, right? We are known as a leather accessories brand. For us to play in the recycled nylon space, I'm just really kind of do a smaller exercise, not even spend that much money just to see whether the product has traction. And, and in terms of um, backing it up in in terms of digital marketing or digital yeah digital advertising campaigns. I mean, do you allocate a little bit and then yes, just keep yeah. allocating, keep allocating? Just, yeah, to see what the returns are. So, you know, you would then start bidding on keywords around, um, you know, it's hard. No one's really searching recycled nylon bag. So it might be thinking about words that relate to that space. Like if you were wanting to, I, there are people who would be like sustainable bag or something mm, like that. Mm, they mm. might search for those terms and we would then kind of build out digital strategy based on, what we think and then but you can test and learn very quickly with digital advertising which yep. is yeah you know, which like one a of huge the right benefit. Yeah, yeah totally and it, but if it works you build on it you yes. just keep building yeah. on it keep building on or it. you axe it yeah, you yeah, might or, look or at that yeah, and yeah. go actually yes Turn it around. is a trend but we can't sell it you know it's not something that we sadly and it is really hard to do that to go oh we're going to give up on this range so you know maybe you don't sound like the sort of person to give up on on anything very quickly, <laughs> particularly if you. I mean, can I ask you? Are you the sort of person? And and this happens with entrepreneurs a lot. They become extraordinarily passionate and they really, really believe in the thing that they're 
trying to you know produce and promote, mm-hmm. um, whether it's uh, paint and leather bags or mm-hmm. recycled nylon or whatever it is. Um, at what point do you does Elise Trans say, or does your business, the Daily Editor, mm-hmm. go stuff this is no good? I mean, yes. how hard is that? They we do it all the time because we do things like as basic as a review, like a skew review, and what is what is been what what's inventory are we holding for way too long? If it's been on the books for over a year and you've tried to promote it and you've allocated funds, it has to go. Yeah. So it's just a financial decision. I can't keep dragging the Is business. that you who does it? Or are you Tanya. Got, yeah, she, <laughs> yeah so, she's so very she's good the, at that. So she's the killer. So like, yeah, uh, That's cool. She doesn't have that emotional attachment yeah, yeah, to yeah, stuff, which yeah. is yeah. So you two complement each other. Yeah. And how important is it for you to have board? Why is it important for you to be in business with a partner? I mean, I have my own views, which I've strongly um, – uh, advocated for a long time. Uh, I think partnerships are really important. But why do you find that Tanya being your partner is really important to you? What What is it uh, that she brings to the game that maybe you don't bring to the game? What do you bring to the game she doesn't bring it's to the game? It's nice not having the full responsibility all on my shoulders all the time. And it's nice to have um, someone of good intellect to banter off of because, you know, I know it sounds very cliche, but it, it can be very lonely in these sorts of positions. Um, and so if you're both acting in the best interest of the company because it's only going to benefit both of you, then you know and you can trust in that that, that sounding board. You can get stuck too. If yes. you're on your own, you can get stuck. Potentially, yeah. yeah if you don't because have it doesn't matter how smart you are, mm. you can get stuck. Um, should I get rid of this product? Or, mm. or maybe I'm, there's something I'm not I'm missing that could be a good it could be a good product, but I could be missing something. And, you know, you could sit on a product for too long, you can lose a lot of money very easily. Where if you've got a partner who's sort of a bit more cold-hearted about it, let's say you're the passionate mm. one and emotionally involved mm. in the, creating something, which you create something, you've got to get involved in it. Mm-hmm. It's harder than to step back and say, yeah. get rid of it. Yeah. Um, then if your business partner is on the other side, she's interested in money, logistics, blah, blah. Yeah. She would just say, hey, Louise, let's get rid of this thing. Yes, and it's fun because at least I get to move on and then create the next thing. So yeah. let's say recycled nylon fails, I'll move on to an – I have to plug the gap. So I'm obviously doing this to – build revenue, so at least I get to move on to another idea. Yeah, so like yeah, partnerships, I, I think partnerships are really important. I mean, mm. I, look, I've known a lot of people say that I know I don't need partners, I can do this on my own because a lot of people worry about the dilution effect, you know, like it, to some extent it's driven by greed and ego. Um, I think for me you're better off having a smaller percentage of a bigger business and a more successful business than you are Agreed. of running the risk of being 100% owned of something that's going to be smaller and maybe have all the risks associated with not having somebody there to bounce ideas off. Or, to, or just to straighten you up. And you sometimes, you know, it's just someone to straighten you up. <laughs> I mean, because we do get mad. Mm. Creative people can get a bit mad. Yep, no, I understand. Yeah, no. I, Run yes. off on tangents can easily think, oh, well, that could work. Yes, with marketing. I'm like, yeah, let's do this. Totally. Let's spend, like, all this money. Yeah. She's like, no. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's great. So, at least, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I think this is, a, from what I can hear, from what I can see, apart from COVID, where I think we're poised for a boom, I think, Australia in particular is poised for a boom. I love this for us. Okay, great. No, I really do. I okay, think you know, great. come July, August, I think we're poised for a boom. Um, there will be there are definitely some people who are going to be permanently affected. Um, and, you know, travel and all that sort of stuff, you know, a, a, a hospitality perhaps a little less, um, but accommodation, travel accommodation, those sorts of things. But other than that, um, there is a lot of money sloshing around our system at the moment. The banks have never had never had more deposits in their history ever. Um, if money goes back into the system, it's money supply, then the system starts to build on itself. So I think that we're going to be in for a boom like we've never seen before. 
It is, it is the roaring 20s. This is a boom. It's, yes. it's coming. Okay. Whether I just don't know when it's going to be this year or next year, mm-hmm. but when they th- get things under control here and around the world, where it's on. Okay. So you've got to get ready for when it's on. That's my view. So mm-hmm. I think your business is well-placed. It seems like your products are smart um, from what I can see, smart in terms of um, the marketplace, but also s- smart to look at. they functional. You've been at this a long time, so you're, no, you're not going to make all the basic mistakes. You've got your basic products. So I think you're in good shape. That's, that's the feeling I get. I'm okay? going to go back and tell my team that. We're in good shape, No, guys. I think you are, are in good shape. <laughs> You're in a good spot relative to what I think is going to be a really good market here. Mm-hmm. I can't necessarily talk for US. Yeah. It's a bit different over there, but I'm talking about here, locally. Mm-hmm. So on the back of that, what one question do you might have for me? How do you stay so passionate? You know, you know, I am vaguely getting a bit tired, not, you know, but this sort of chat invigorates me a lot, so thank you. But how do you stay Passion and focus, years in. Well, I tell you, it's pretty easy, okay? One day, when you're older, you're going to be laying down there and your toes are going to be pointing upwards and you might not be able to move or you're not going to be well. And you're going to think to yourself, I wish I could go back to where I used to be when I used to complain about being tired or when I used to not complain, just think about being tired. You must think, and I do this, and I'm sure your parents did this when they first arrived in Australia, it's actually an honour to have the capacity to work hard. And more importantly, in your case, do something that you actually love doing. Mm-hmm. Whereas your mum and dad maybe not necessarily love having to pick strawberries in the heat and the cold and watching shit get destroyed and looking at their kids and all that sort of stuff and thinking about their family back in Vietnam. So you've got a live working example, 57 years of age, who are now going to come to Sydney. So every time you look at them, you mm-hmm. should think to yourself, how good is what I'm doing? I don't give a shit how tired I am because I'll have a good sleep tomorrow night. That's what I do. That's exactly what I do. For me, it's an honour to be able to work hard. Yes, I do get tired mm-hmm. and I think oh, I'm stuffed. But then I just quickly give myself an uppercut and I'm back on. And I'm sitting here in front of, in front of me is a, is a young woman who's doing it brilliantly, all right, brilliantly. And all of it goes back to the day your mum and dad got on a little dinghy and rode across from Vietnam to Hong Kong and then somehow managed to get them here to, themselves here to Adelaide. That's what you've got. That's a gift. Thanks, Mark. I'm tearing up because it's like so hectic, but thank you. But it's the truth. That's why you're tearing up. It's the truth. Thanks very much. (laughs) Thanks, Mark.